Thursday finance and it is uh, in the middle of our market update with Henry Jennings now on 2NURFM. Henry, back? Yes, back. Jane Jane Googled it and she thinks it was called Autobahn. No, it was called Burson. That's right. Yeah, yeah, Burson. Okay. That's right. Autobahn was the shop name. Yeah. Okay. Um, Super super Retail Group. um, Yeah. It's got some Amart stores that they're now going to rebrand to... Rebel stores to to, to to counter the threat from Amazon. I mean, is yep. this uh, is this all being overdone? I don't I don't see how changing the name of your shop's going to, to counter a threat from Amazon. Well, I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's going to counter a threat to, from Amazon. I mean, Amart was not really the premium brand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I see Amart stores around the place, and and they look a bit daggy, and they mm-hmm. look a bit sort of. Um, Look a bit cheap and cheerful, um, whereas the Rebel Sports stores are all very schmick and uh, look pretty good. So they've got 65 Amart stores, which they bought off private equity for a nice big fat price, um, and they're going to convert them into uh, to Rebel stores, and that's going to cost them a bit of money to do that. Um, so they're going to take a bit of one of those impairment charges to do it. But they have um, um, gone with guidance up to between 16 to 18% uh, growth on last year in terms of profits which the market will like. Um, and let's face it, we are a sports-mad country. Uh-huh. Um, if you can't make money out of selling sporting goods to a sports-mad country, you are doing something very wrong. Now, of course, they have got some competition coming from Amazon, but you know what? You can buy sporting goods from Amazon now. That's right. Now, if you want to go and buy, I've just bought a pair of trainers on eBay uh-huh. for 60 bucks. You know, they, these things are you know, they're, they're readily available. They arrive in two days. But, um, you know, Rebel Sports has, has got a kind of a, a pretty good brand name. It's one of those respected brands. So I think it's probably a good move from Super Retail. Um, they've got some competition coming from Europe as well with JD Sports, and there's a European company called Decathlon, which is coming as well. But you know what? The, the whole Amazon thing, we can buy stuff online, and we can buy stuff now with an Aussie dollar that's 80 cents. Yes. Which makes it even cheaper to buy stuff, and you save the GST. So... You know, the retailers are still managing, you know, the good retailers are still managing to do okay, despite the online threat. And, you know, Rebel can go online and, and what have you. So, you know, I, I think some of this Amazon thing is a little bit overdone. There's a bit of hysteria from the media. The media loves to latch onto something for five minutes and runs it for three or four days, infects the whole sector, and then they move on to the next thing. I remember that, you know, the bank levy. Yeah. That, that was the end of the world. And mm. the bank shares, I have this big bank basket, which is the sum of the four banks, and that got down to 167 bucks. It's now 179 bucks. Doesn't surprise me. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's just, a media, media loves it, because now because they're competing for clicks, and mm. they're competing for eyeballs, they want sensational stories. And mm. the Amazon one, God, it's a big name. It's a big, you know, it's a big gorilla out there. It's going to change everything. Really? We've got it already. Well, that, that, that's right. And you can actually buy off Amazon now, anyhow. So, mm. so, I mean, and it's still not going to get over the issue. Yes, you, you're a bit organised, Henry, and you can organise your your jogging shoes in advance. But I, I'll wake up one day and decide I need to get a new pair of jogging shoes and I want them today, so I'll go to the shop. And there's lots well, of people right. like that. That's right. I mean, that's right. Yeah. And also, with, with running shoes, you know, I'm taking a punt, but, uh, you know, they actually fit and they're comfy, but, you know, it's... That's the way of the world. Yep, that's right. And speaking of uh, speaking of comfy and fitting, um, the, the, the problems with the MBN seems to be getting louder and louder. Yeah. 
uh, as more and more people connected and find out that it's not actually what was promised. If you no. can, if you can actually get connected, I understand. Yeah. And and uh, the the telcos are now pushing for price reductions because they're getting the blame. Well, so they should because um, you know ultimately the the, N, well, the MBN is is a second rate service. Let's face it, and you know there's, there's better service in Lithuania or or wherever around the world, and you travel overseas and you realise how bad mm-hmm. our um, internet infrastructure is. But anyway, putting that aside, um, the um, the problem the NBN has is that the, the, all these service providers that resell the NBN promise the world. Yep. But what they don't tell you is that if everybody in your street signs up for all the, the super-duper bells and whistles packages, when they all come home from work and log on to look at their uh, their Facebook account or to download YouTube or whatever, they don't have enough bandwidth. And these um, ISP providers like you know, the Vocuses and, the, and whoever in the world um, haven't paid up to get enough bandwidth. And now there's lots of complaints and the ACCC is threatening to, you know, to take these uh, guys to court over... Um, over-promising and under-delivering. And, of course, the ISPs are pushing back, saying, well, you know, you need to reduce the prices so that we can remain competitive. Otherwise, our Internet is going to get so expensive that it's not funny. And on the flip side, you've got um, Optus now saying that, uh, you know what, 4G is faster than and, uh, fixed, fixed uh, broadband anyway, so why don't you just go to 4G? And the, the allowances are getting such that in you know a year or two's time, the NBN might actually be... A very expensive dinosaur. You never know. Yeah, I mean, when I was in New York, the speeds that are being offered on the on the, the cable over there are multiples of here for a fraction of the price. Yeah, and, and well, I, mean, I, think, I think we've been stitched up. This, I mean, yeah. the NBN should never have been a political um, football. Nah. It should have just been, here's the best solution, how do we pay for it? And it's infrastructure that's needed, and it's all going to have to be fixed up and redone, and it's then going to end up costing more than it was done to start with. Well, that's and speaking of data type centres, uh, NextDC makes an offer for Asia Pacific data centres. So I understand that these, these are the Asia Pacific data centres actually owns the building, <laughs> the XD, and they actually sold it to them to start with. Um, yeah, well, what happened is when NextDC listed, um, you know, they built all these data centres, and, and they're not in the business of owning property; they're in the business of running data storage. So what they did is they bundled up three centres, stuck them into a, um, a, a property trust flogged off that with them as the only tenant um, with nice sort of sweetheart deals on uh, rental increases and, and security of tenure, etc. Um, and this Asia-Pacific data center just kind of sat there languishing. Um, and what happened was 360 Capital, uh, which is a sort of more aggressive um, property trust, came along and said, you know what, guys, we think we can do a better job than this. We've got a bunch of money sitting around. So we will, we're trying to get rid of NextDC as the manager of these, uh, of these things. Um, so there became a bit of a takeover battle for AJD, as it is uh, listed as Asian Pacific Data Centres, um, with uh, 360 Capital trying to get the management rights off NextDC, and NextDC realising that they were in trouble if um, if that happened, because then they might uh, find themselves with higher rent increases or whatever, because they would maximise shareholder value. So they've actually bought it back again. So they're paying a uh, dollar eighty-five back for the uh, for these data centres. Um, which is kind of ironic, really, and no doubt um, maybe at some stage in the future they will try and package them up again and flog them off when 360 Capital have gone on to do something else. But um, it's, been a, it's been a nice fight to watch and good for shareholders of the data centres because they've seen their price go up from 
Now, a dollar forty to a dollar eighty-five or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've done pretty well. It was trading below its mm-hmm. net asset value. So um, three sixty capital have done a pretty good job. They've got a foot on a big stake and made about seven million bucks out of it as well. So. And this is a case of the more things change, the more they remain the same, Henry. Yeah, well, you can put Humpty back together or you can break Humpty apart. Do you know in the Humpty Dumpty song, there's nowhere, on the rhyme rather, there's nowhere there that says he's an egg. Really? Yep. You, anyhow. Right. You, you, you go, go and that. check that. <laughs> and, and speaking of places you can get lots of knowledge, but far more useful knowledge than the Humpty Dumpty rhyme is, is yeah. from that newsletter that you're the author of, Henry? Um, well, I'm not the author. I'm one of the contributors the major to um, no, but, the major um, I'm part of it, and we're Marcus and I are actually up on the Gold Coast next week doing a conference the Australian Investors Association, both presenting up there, so that's going to be quite exciting. We're going to have a bit of fun up there, I think. As long as it's nice and warm. Okay, talk it to is. you next week, Henry. I'll be in Brisbane this afternoon, actually. Oh, enjoy. Okay. Thanks. Yes, might be able to catch up with some kind of time delay. Thank you, Henry Jennings, who is a senior commentator with Marcus Today Financial Newsletter. This is Thursday Finance on 2NURFM, and Stephen Pritchard's going to bring us up to date on just how the financial advice process works. You might have had questions about that and the fees associated with that. That's coming up in just a moment. It's 16 to 1 and, uh, well, I don't know, Stephen, have you been to the Edinburgh Tattoo? No, but I've seen it on television. Well, as we've all had the opportunity to do. Have you been there, Jane? I have indeed. I need Yeah, you've been everywhere. (laughs) Almost. Not quite. We want to look at how the investment, the financial advice process works because, yeah, we know that there are financial advisors and, of course, what happens? How does it all work? So, so yeah, I mean, different firms have different processes um, and I I thought we'd just go through... um, what we do in our firm today, and, and but but they're all very similar. I mean, and, and the f- because the the end result of what you have to produce to the client is is fairly highly regulated, mm-hmm. so they they all follow the same process. So so basically, what happens if you if you if you want to talk to us about financial advice, you, you know, you come in and talk to someone, you um, have a chat. Um, we decide whether you know we make a decision whether whether we can assist you. I mean, some people we can't assist. I mean, uh, for various reasons. And then what we'll then do is we'll give you a thing called a financial needs analysis. Now, a financial needs analysis is is a document which um, the client is required to fill in, and ASIC requires us to obtain all this information, which has got simple things like your date of birth and, and, and you know, your number of children and that type of background information, plus other things about what you're, what you're wanting to achieve, whether, whether you're looking to save for retirement, whether you want to look for, for, your, for, for, for um, um, putting some money aside for the grandchildren or putting some aside money for your children or, or various things. So this is a, a financial needs analysis as part of the process called Know Your Client. So what we need to do is know, before we're in a position to give you proper advice, we need to know the facts and the background of, of you and what you want to achieve in the future. Now, in our firm, what we would then typically do, we would then send out an, an engagement letter. An engagement letter would outline um, the scope of the advice um, that we're going to provide you. And this is particularly important um, to make sure that what we're saying in the scope of advice is what we're going to, is what you require. And it will also outline the fees and charges we're proposing. Now, 
one of the things about an engagement letter, at least um, the one we use, one of the important things you also need to look at is what's excluded from the advice. Mm-hmm. Typically, we would exclude um, Social Security uh, Centrelink advice um, because most of our clients um, aren't in that category, but there are other firms who do. And we'd probably also exclude um, uh, risk advice, which is life insurance. Um, and, and that's typically because um, a lot of our clients don't require that. But so you need, it's it's important to look at in, in our engagement letter or other firms' engagement letters, um, what advice they're going to give you and what's excluded from that advice. So if you want some of the stuff that's been excluded, you need to raise that at this stage. So what we would do is we'd send out your engagement letter, just like an accounting client, and, and, and what we're going to do and, and how much we're going to charge, and we'd get you to sign off on that. So there can be no dispute down the track about you thought we were going to do this or you didn't know we weren't going to do that. So you need to look at what's being sent out. You need to kind of have a bit of responsibility there. So, so at this th- stage, there's no real advice. It's just the no, headings. Yeah, no, we're saying, mm. what, 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 you know, you, you give us the financial needs analysis and tell us what you want, then we'll give you a, a document. It's all, it's all documented. Mm. Um, and then we'll give you a, a, an engagement letter back, which will list out what we're going to give you advice on and what we're not going to give advice on. And, and yep. you need to, mm-hmm. to look at it. And it also has our fees in it. And then from that, we will produce a document called a statement of advice. Now, a statement of advice is a, is, is, is a statutory document that ASIC requires you to produce. Um, it, it, it's got to contain specific items, um, the recommendations, uh, uh, any costs, any product replacement and any associations um, with product issuers. Um, so, so if you come to us, there, there's very few associations with product issuers. You go to someone like um, Commonwealth Bank, who are recommending Commonwealth Bank or Colonial Products or First uh, State Products. They're all associates, and all those associations are supposed to be listed down. If you go to someone like um, uh, Godfrey Pembroke, which is a subsidiary of MLC, which is a subsidiary of NAB, any products that are issued by NAB or MLC or anyone else in the group that they're recommending should be disclosed in the statement of advice. So you need to look at that important bit of the statement of advice to see where the products products that came from. Now, all the advice that we're giving you that you require should be in that statement of advice. So we'll give you the statement of advice. You need to study it and make sure that you're happy with those recommendations and advice, and we will charge you um, for the production of the statement of advice. So after, after you've after you're happy with that, um, we, we typically have a meeting with you, one or two meetings, you know, take it away, go away, you decide, there might be some changes, there might be some ethical considerations we need to go and take into account that you forgot to tell us about to start with, um, and, we, and we can do all those things. And after you're happy with that, um, we then recommend, uh, we then implement the advice, and there's, there's various fees and charges on that, which we would have outlined, um, typically you know, in our case, it it would probably be around a hundred dollars per investment because listed stuff's got brokerage and unlisted stuff you've got to fill the application form in, and you know, so 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 not not a great deal of of money really in the scheme of things, and so then you've got your advice implemented, and and if you're going to buy some products, you've got some products bought, and so that's all up and running, and then you need to see is 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 do you want some ongoing advice, and the ongoing advice means we. We review the portfolio on an agreed time frame, typically for smaller ones, you know, up to about two hundred and fifty thousand, we'd say annually. Over two hundred and fifty thousand, we'd say 
twice a year. But, you know, once again, that's that's what the client wants and what the fee arrangement is on that. So so when you go to someone else, you know, the, the key things you need to look for, make sure they give you a financial needs analysis to fill in because that's the foundation thing. Make sure you get a, an engagement letter which or, or a fee agreement up front which will specify all the fees. No one is going to do a professional job on giving you a statement of advice unless they build it for you, unless there's some product pushing arrangements in the background. Um, and then you need to carefully look at your fee agreement and your statement of advice to make sure all of the stuff that's recommended is suitable to you. And in your statement of advice, there should also be a risk paragraph which highlights potential risk of the advice. And that's it, more that's or it. less in a mouthful. nutshell. In a mouthful, yes, that's true. And, uh, of course, you will be able to catch this program on podcast a little bit later. Um, so do fees vary much according to... Oh, okay, so fees on a, on a, on a you know... $500,000 portfolio, we typically charge for a statement of advice about two, two $2,500. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's really up to the individual firm what they charge and on what the remuneration structure is and is based in the firm. Um, some firms would have a lower statement of advice fee but a higher implementation fee. Mm. I mean, we, we basically look at the implementation process as a, as a break-even type thing. We recover our costs in that way. We, we're, we're happy. So you need to look at the total fees and, and how they're structured. So, yeah. Okay, so it's yeah, it's all a bit go along and see what's happening. Go yeah. along and, you know, get, yeah. get, get them to give you a price. Okay? Well, thank you. That's, that's great to have that explained. Thank you, Stephen Pritchard. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.